0: All right, welcome 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 to another Pro Football Doc Sports Injury Central podcast. This is immediately after the 2022 NFL draft and we're going to start with a special guest here that I think is very timely for a lot of different reasons, very knowledgeable throughout his time in the NFL, former Bucks GM and media personality everywhere, uh, and friend Mark Dominic. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thanks for having me on, Dr. Chow. I wish what you could have said is this is pr- prior to the draft, and then I could have like blown this whole coverage. It would be like, this guy knows everything. He would be perfect. Wow, this guy's dialed in. But no, I, I'm happy to join you after the draft. It's always a, an amazing three days. And I was thinking it's only 362 days till the next draft. So we're counting down already.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, a you know, what's so funny is that I always find that all these draft nicks and people come in and and say this, look, it's a 365 job, right? I mean, that's why people think, oh, it's just you making decisions. You have a huge staff of people that are, I mean, you leave no stone unturned, right? And I think that's why, no offense to anyone in particular, it's a very difficult thing to have the head coach be doing both jobs i mean you couldn't be the head coach and the gm it's just so much time it's interesting
1: yeah there are so many moving parts to what you're saying and there's also so much time that's invested into it uh when you're a head coach as well as as trying to be the gm that's a very tricky uh thing to balance and juggle because in two weeks from now we're actually you know clubs are actually heading down to the combine meetings to look at next year's batch of young men that are starting to enter the league. And so, you know, it, like you said, it's, it's every day. It's, it's already starting to send your scouts home, but knowing that in two weeks, they're going to start listening to the new and then they start their summer reports and they start watching guys for the 2023 draft. So it is a cycle that's a long cycle. It's a lot of analysis. It's a lot of gathering information and then you try to put it all together and hopefully you pick wisely. And I think we saw a, a lot of movement in the draft, which I thought was made it very entertaining.
0: Yeah. And a couple of things. Did you ever, I mean, whenever, when you were done with a draft, I get publicly, you always said, oh, that's a great draft. I mean, I wish you could come out every, oh, that surgery is like a success. That ACL is a success. Well, you can't predict that till down the road. How would you look at drafts when you were done?
1: You know, You would go back and you'd kind of look about uh, opportunities maybe that you could have made a move. You know, there's sometimes where you're like, like you think the player is going to get to you and you feel very confident about that. Maybe he doesn't, or the player drops to you and you're like, what's the problem? Like, why is he dropping? Maybe I don't know something. And it's got me very concerned because maybe I'm looking at my area scout going, he's not my strongest scout. He's a good scout, but he's not my strongest. (laughs) And there might be something you're like, what am I missing here? So you do go through that game. You also, as a GM, and I think you're, you know, we did for sure is we'd go through all the other teams and kind of assess how do I think they performed? Like, what did they do, which I thought was interesting. And, and guys to watch, specifically those fifth, sixth, and seventh rounders that I really liked, you know, kind of thinking what were they thinking and looking at their depth charts already and saying, how is he going to make it? But, uh, you know, I think every GM kind of walks out of that draft feeling pretty good about it, just like you said, with those, you know, reconstructions and things. Uh, and But you're right, uh, the truth is three, four years from now, is really when you'll know when guys start getting paid second contracts, that's when you really figure out whether guys made it or not.
0: Yeah, no, no question. So let me ask you, since this is a medical podcast, we'll focus more on the medical side rather than specific teams and so forth. And I know you made some comments here. But the first one I want, I'd love for you to, to think about is Scott Pioli said something that I thought was interesting. Uh, he said one of the disappointing parts of the NFL draft is when grown adults in positions of influence, coaches, GMs, and agents start leaking harmful, untruthful information and justify it as strategic competition or just business. It's dirty. What's your thought on that take there? Because for me, look, I don't think you listen to any of that stuff anyways, and you're the only one deciding. Fans may listen to it. Media may listen to it. I say all the time. For example, um, oh, uh, uh, Jameson Williams—he's doing well. He's going to run before uh, the 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 training camp, and he's going to be ready and all that stuff. As a team physician, if it came across my desk—and it wouldn't always—I would just chuckle at it. I mean, it's a biased viewpoint. We got to examine him. We make our own opinions. You make your own opinions. And I respect, Scott, that it may be a dirty part, but does it really amount to a hill of beans? Does it ever change a GM's opinion, what is leaked out there? That's just a question that I have.
1: You know, the one thing that I always used to get disappointed was when a young player failed a drug test and that got leaked, I always thought that that was wrong. I mean, there was a reason why that came in a confidential pouch, only went to a couple people, and one person really comes to me as the GM or – the head coach and and really that's the one that to me was always disappointed when the the drug the you know, failed drug tests were leaked and you know obviously the young man put himself in that situation so not great but the rest of it you know I'm not that big of a deal because we to your point we have our own opinions I mean I thought the ultimate like cloak and dagger was if you watch the Pittsburgh Steelers you know going into the draft you know Malik Willis is rising up their board and he's the guy that they really they're put a smokescreen out on everybody because everybody thought a while back about a month ago it was Kenny Pickett was certainly going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then suddenly we see this huge smokescreen Malik Willis and there's only one place that started. And that's probably Pittsburgh. And so, you know, that's I call it more gamesmanship um, in terms of like trying to get, get people off the scent. But I never looked at it, uh, I mean, if you're tearing a kid down in public or, or you're purposely trying to trash young man, I think that's wrong. But I didn't, I've didn't. i never really kind of used that tactic. I've I always thought of it more of like we've come to our own opinion and whether that's, as I've used an example before, Rob Gronkowski, we failed him on our medical. Pretty good player. Javed Best, we failed him on our medical. Didn't have a good career. So, I mean, you just, you know, it's, it's everybody has their own opinion and you just bring everybody together and you formulate yours and stick with it.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, a few years back, Mark, a a side story, I was worried about Jalen Smith with his perineal nerve and multi-ligament, but I wasn't out to try and be negative on a college player. Right. But when he put out video that he's walking without a brace five weeks after surgery and he had a AFO on his foot indicating the foot drop, and he put out the video, I thought it was fair for me to comment on the AFO. And it was interesting. I got some blowback from people and said, look, uh, that social media post cost him millions of dollars, that somehow I might've been unethical pointing that out. Well, I only pointed out what he put out in social media. This wasn't a surveillance camera, number one. Number two, it didn't cost him a dime because the next day all 32 teams were gonna get a hands-on look at him. They were going to know the truth. They're not monitoring my Twitter or media report to see what his knee and his nerve looks like. They're going to see it firsthand. So I argue it didn't cost him a dime. It was what it was. The injury might have. But these reports and leaks don't do anything. Look, prior to this draft, I think I was pretty careful with it. We at Six were pretty careful with it. But we kind of said, Justin Ross, it's a shame, right? I mean, here's Mm -hmm. this guy and we didn't think he'd be drafted at all. Clearly he was falling anyways for other reasons, but because of the congenital neck issue. And I try and keep it positive. It's not like people in the NFL hate him and weren't passing him. They were doing it for his safety, not passing him on the physical. And now I guess he signed a free agent deal and we'll see if he ever sees contact, right? He can go with the chiefs and run around in training camp and OTAs and mini camp. It's... When the rubber hits the road for contact, there's potential danger. I'm not saying it's huge danger, but, you know, if it was your son, would you accept a 1% chance of disaster? I mean, that's what we're worried about there with what's going on. And I just don't think that, at least as a team physician side, we didn't listen to the noise, and I would be surprised if GMs listened to it either.
1: Yeah, not very much. I mean, you talk about the 1% and, and, you know, think about what our country just went through. On the 1% chance of COVID, we shut the whole world down, right? So if it's a 1% for your own son, you're nervous and you're worried about it. I can remember a long time ago uh, with uh, Bruce Allen becoming the new GM of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and we had a big decision. John Gruden was there. It was Bruce Allen. And we let John Lynch go because we were concerned that there was a chance for a, a very logical and very possible neck injury now he goes on and plays i think four more years in denver plays well and he's a little sideways because we let him go and we're just trying to do what we thought was the right thing in the right interest of the player and so it's always different per club in terms of what you see in the perception but you know i also always said to our scouts you know whether it was character whether it was medical you know would we take him in the seventh round and they're like no i can't draft him but i'd take him as a free agent nothing changes (laughs) <laughs> that medical condition still comes with him, so why is it like it's okay to take him into you know the seventh round, but not, but you don't want him in the seventh, but you want him as a free agent? So I was kind of reminded our scouts like if you're willing to take him as an undrafted free agent, then be honest with you know what we're talking about, or let's press the issue and let's look at it a little bit further to make sure that we're making the right choice because it's either one or the other. To be on the fence to me, that's not the way you have to do this.
0: Well, let's let's talk about that undrafted or a seventh round pick, Carson Strong. At Sports Injury Central, we kind of softly panned him with the OCD. That's going to be a potential problem, potential ticking time bomb. Look, if you want him as a pocket quarterback, you probably can, but his mobility and long-term, there's some potential issues. He went undrafted. Is it better for a player to be undrafted when you're Carson Strong? Pick the place you want to go. And look, he got a nice signing bonus. Or is it better to be drafted somewhere in the seventh round? I mean, I, I, I think it's, for most fans, it's like, well, I'd rather be drafted, right? But I don't know. The flexibility of picking where you want to go and cutting your own deal might be better in free agency. It's not like it's a 12-round draft or whatever like it used to be. It's only seven rounds.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's better. When you get to that point, your ego says get drafted, right? You feel better because I was drafted in the National Football League. But logically, it's better to not get drafted. And the reason why is a couple things, and you mentioned one of them. One of them, you get to pick your place. Instead of everybody you know, deciding where you're gonna go, you get to sit back and say, where's the best fit for me? Number two, Carson Strong got a better deal than probably everybody in the seventh round's gonna get because it's got a lot of guaranteed money, much more than anybody else. And then number three, as an undrafted free agent, you're allowed to renegotiate your contract after two years where a draft pick can't renegotiate until after three. So, there are lots of good reasons why, if you have a chance to go undrafted, you're towards the end of the seventh round. It is truly better to not get drafted.
0: So uh, where is that Mendoza line? Early seventh round, sixth round
1: Ooh, For a player for the hope for them, yeah, I think it's I think it's seventh round in general. I, I think anywhere in the seventh round is kind of like it's nice again. I've had some success with seventh round picks, guys that have made it eight years and ten years in the NFL. So you'll find those guys. But the reality for the player, it might be a better spot for them to you know sit back, look at the depth charts, have that little moment. But it's crazy after the draft, as you know, uh, in terms of trying to put together that those 15 to 20 players you're going to sign after the draft.
0: Yeah, so uh, beware that uh, there'll be an agent, a player's agent, that actually leaks negative news on his own player to make sure he's not drafted in the seventh (laughs) round. (laughs) It's a possibility. I'm joking on that. Uh, And you mentioned something else that I wanted to cover. I think everyone's like, "Um, Saturday, the draft's over. That's when it gets crazy, right? I mean, you got to fill out your free agent slots. I mean, all the coaches and all the other scouts, they're not in the – war. I I don't know how you did in Tampa, but – with the Chargers, they weren't in the war room, they're all in the building, and they're all starting to make their phone calls on Saturday, hey, you know, if you don't get drafted, we want you, you know, the, the wide receiver coach would be lining up his few, and the mm-hmm. and the D-line coach would be lining up his, and then the scouts would be pretty, I mean, it's actually more of a madhouse because it's a free-for-all, and I think it starts even before the last player is picked, right, I mean, it starts to crescendo up, but that's a free for all to fill out your roster uh, with the free agents.
1: It, it, it is, and you're trying every year. You try to find a way to like make it more calm and make it more ra- and rational. And so, what we started doing in Tampa, at least my last couple of years, is I started pairing up an area scout with a position coach. And now, with technology and everything, you can ping stuff back and forth, and you'd be like, okay, so now this receiver just went. So now keep adjust the list, and now who's your top three? And that way they can be, hey, I've got them on the phone. You know, can we offer 15, can we offer 20? You know, and it's just like all you're doing is hitting back. And now everybody's kind of working together. And you're making sure that you have a scout and a coach that are understanding the list and making sure they're staying in order uh, of what's available. So you try to make a call, But the problem is you call player, you know, Alex Smith. And Alex is sitting there with 13 phone calls right now and one agent. And he's like, I don't know what to do, you know. And so it's, it's very hard on the player, too, to make those quick decisions. Uh, it's hard on the club because you got you don't want to miss one guy because you're sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting and you miss another one. So it, it is very hectic. I don't know if there's a better way to do it. Uh, you know, because even if you took the draft and said, you know what, let's do three more rounds of draft after the draft, it's still going to be, you're going to sign 12 more guys, it's going to be the same issue. So it doesn't go away. It's kind of like that we understand it. Uh, and, uh, you know, but at the same point for a guy like Carson Strong, I think it paid off for him not to get drafted. Yeah,
0: and and you're, like you said there's no way around it it's it's just going to happen and, and you know the draft day movie and you know even in my time in the quote war room the, at the kids table in the corner with the head athletic trainer right we we, yeah. we weren't at, we weren't at the adult thanksgiving table we were the little kids table in the corner you know uh, the yeah. kind of thing and you know we had our moments of excitement you know uh we dra- i was in the draft room when we drafted eli manning uh and uh, there was a lot of tension because he obviously didn't want to play in the whole deal. And I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, um, and, and, you know, uh, Robert Gallery was the next pick and what do we do and this, that, the other. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, when the Giants drafted Eli River, sorry, when the Giants drafted Phillip Rivers, there was a cheer in our room from the front. And uh, that told me that was how that game was gonna end you know there was no deal when Rivers was drafted but once the Giants drafted Phillip Rivers knowing that we wanted him I know AJ Smith was pretty happy (laughs) you know that was gonna happen but for every one of those exciting moments I think what's more pressure field is what you're talking about the free agent stuff because literally it's not a 10-minute clock like you may only have thirty seconds or a minute, like yes or no, right? And and you guys have to decide quickly who you want and what you want to offer them, uh, and the player and the agent are simultaneously feeling feeling all these phone calls. And look, it's not one of those. Let me talk to my guy and I'll get back to you in five minutes. The five minutes, it's gone, right? Because you you can't get scooped. Like if you're not going, I need to offer this to my second guy. You got to tell me now, right? And then you get fear of missing out on you don't fill the spot with free agents and so the position coach says let's go let's just get this guy he's not on board and that's actually the hidden more tension filled like it's not on tv and it's not the same thing but that's quite stressful as you talk about
1: i think it would be fascinating that you know peter king kind of wrote about the fact that he got to sit in the draft room for the ravens fourth round I think it'd be fascinating to have somebody sit in and watch how the end of the draft actually ends and how you actually try to put together those 15 to 20 players uh, to see that perspective because it is so hard to maneuver it. And one of the things we tried to research back uh, as I was going through that process was how many are we hitting on? Uh, Because if we're only hitting on one or two, then let's focus on four guys. And as the other ones play out, it plays out. And so if if I lose a guy because it was 5,000 or 10,000, I've got three on the table, move on. More than likely, I might get another shot at him because he might get cut while they try to put him on the practice squad. So, um, you know, it, it, you've got to just kind of to ease it down a little bit. You really have to have a really tight target. Um, and you've got to be able to have that communication uh, open so that you understand uh, exactly where the money needs to go to to get him on your football team. And uh, it is a very difficult process but everybody made it through every year and uh yet i feel for a lot of players because there's a lot of kids that you know got into this draft that were thinking they're going to get drafted or thought they were going to sign as an undrafted free agent and that didn't even happen because it's hard and uh you know they're just hoping for a tryout now but this league gives you opportunities and tuesday workouts as you know doctor and you just gotta keep yourself oh, in yeah. shape very hard thing to do right now when you feel down when you didn't get uh, an opportunity yet
0: well you know I tell this to high school kids all the time. They didn't get the school that they wanted. But if you're good enough, okay, you're injured and you're not going to make it. But if you're good enough, you can go the JC route and still get there, right? There are back doors to get there. It's just disappointing that you didn't get your four-year scholarship to a big-name school. But if you're good enough and you work at it, you, you, you can get there. I wanted to ask you for sure, because uh, we don't want to take too much of your time, about a tweet of yours that you had uh, maybe a month or so ago with what happened to David Ojabo, torn Achilles at the pro day. It's time for players with support from agents to skip pro days if they work out fully at the combine. Go meet with clubs, support your teams. Players skip bowl games for the same reason. It's a business now. Uh, Tell us about that and and your thought there.
1: Well, I just feel like, you know, we ask these guys to come to the combine and compete, and if they don't, we kind of question their competitiveness, right? And then we have a person that goes to the combine, does absolutely every drill there. And then we ask them to go right to their pro day, two, three, four weeks later, have to maintain the conditioning that they need to be in, which is fine, but they're doing you know, these drills. They're not doing a lot of football. They're doing you know, cuts and stuff like that. So yes, they're all football. And you can never predict when it happens, but you started with the 1% with an injury. What if that's your son and he happens to be David Ojabo, and now he drops now down to the second round when he's probably a top 10 to top 15 pick. That's millions and millions of dollars. You know, no one really was, you know, mad at Christian McCaffrey for sitting out of a bowl game because he made millions and million dollar decision. And to me, if you've already competed, really clubs need to stop pushing these guys because I just don't think there's anything else to get. What are you going to learn that you've just seen? in a pro day that you just saw three weeks ago at the combine in the same movement skills as I want you as a player there to interview with clubs. I want you to be there because I want, you know, maybe the guys that didn't go to the combine want to have some people there. So they want to come to the, you know, to Michigan and go see the workout. So you, I want the player to be around and do the interviews and maybe, you know, clean up a, a time or something that maybe he didn't like, if he felt like he'd missed on something, but to run them through drill after drill. And then we turn around and do private workouts too with these guys. and. You know, we just it seems like every year we have some kind of an injury. And David Ajabu was one of those ones. Uh, Dio Adenabo last year, he got hurt out of Vanderbilt. You know, while he was working out, wasn't the same situation, but another Achilles. And it's just, you know, it's a big impact where is it really worth what we're getting out of it? I don't think it is. And for a player, I think it's just time to like start pumping the brakes and say happy to interview, happy to meet with you. But he did everything at the combine
0: gotcha and you know it's happened you know at sydney jones out of university yeah. of washington a few years ago yeah it does happen so your preference would be if you work out at combines you don't need to do pro days or are you okay with they don't work out at combine they'll do their pro day
1: yeah yeah i Same understand way. Look, i understand i'm i know that every time a player goes in the field there there's an ounce of risk there just is right but to eliminate that a little bit, especially when you're about to get drafted, it's a little different than you know your off-season program, and it's like unfortunate because you've already gotten yourself in the league. But for David Ajabo, it probably was 12 million dollar hit around at least. That's a 12 million dollar injury. You can't make that money back up if you if you have discipline to put that money away, and you put three million in the bank right right away after taxes. You can't make that money up over time, and so that's where I say. Look, if you've done everything you're supposed to do, and as a player, you're good with it. Like, if you don't feel like you had a good workout, that's up to you. Go back out and do something. But if you feel like, hey, look, I feel like I showed my movement skills. I did all my lifts, my jumps, my, you know, my 40. I'm good. And I think players need to be comfortable to sit there and say, I'm staying on what I've done. I don't need to do another workout. And understand that as we get bigger and better players to do that, more often than not, then clubs will start to say, I understand. And so do you want me to work out at the combine or the pro day? And clubs will say combine.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Because they're side by side with everybody else. It almost is a, is a better comparison. No, I, I think that makes, uh, makes some sense there uh, to, to do that. But obviously, and, and they're going 110%, right? Because they're trying to impress, and that's how you yes. get the, the silly Achilles. But I always look for a silver lining. One thing I learned um, in the NFL, Mark, is never too high, never too low. I remember when we were, the Chargers were 0 and 11, and we beat the Kansas City Chiefs. To go one and eleven, we felt pretty good about ourselves that week, right? I mean, you know how that how that goes. Yeah. But one of the things that 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 I would say about you know the bright side, maybe for a Jabo, I don't think he's necessarily going to do that much this year. So it's almost like a red shirt year. And then he only has to play three years, or really get through two years, and then he can go get that contract, right? He doesn't have the five year. It doesn't, have, you know, limit for the first rounders, so he probably will only have three years of wear and tear on him instead of five years, and he can get the second contract, because we all know it's about the second contract for the big money, so maybe there's a silver lining in there for him, but probably pretty hard to tell them that right now
1: (laughs) well doc you know every guy that didn't go in the first round that's the first phone call the agent made was like it's going to be better because if you go in the second round you can become a free agent sooner and so we spin it towards whatever it is and then if you don't get drafted you can become a free agent even sooner than that so it's always a spin a little bit of finding that lining and it's a true lining but uh you know a guaranteed money is guaranteed money and yeah
0: and 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 it's it's the recruiting for all agents is about the same, right? It's like if you're selling your home, hey, I can sell your home for a million dollars and then you don't get it and go, well, there's an upside. You're gonna get it in all cash and you know, no contingencies, here's 900, you know? I mean, exactly. however it is, there's always a spin, right? In terms of what's going on. All right, so before we let you go, I had a question for you, not really draft related. I found, we were lucky here on the podcast. By happenstance, uh, we had Rich Orenberger on who kind of broke the news on Tom Brady and Bruce Arians and you know the little bit of whatever there was there. And then the next week we had Ben Volan on who broke the news about Brady and administrative ownership, whatever it is, with uh, Stephen Ross, University of Michigan guy at Miami and Sean Payton and all that stuff. What do you make of all those stories? What I find amazing is we haven't heard any pushback. That it's not true. And usually whenever you get a big breaking news, like there's pushback. The only people I think we've heard pushback from is Bruce Arians. No, I get along great. I play golf with the guy. But we all know you may like a guy, but the working relationship, uh, you know, the red pen, quote red pen stuff. What do you make of all that story and what happened? And perhaps how little blowback there has been after that story broke. Now, I know you weren't in... Tampa now and it's the but it's Tampa you but you were what insight do you have on that?
1: Yeah, I think that I think your point of you know If there was not truth to it, it's an easy thing to put out right? You just throw the water on it real quick and say that's not even true We never had a discussion. I don't know why we're talking about this But when it is true, then you have to tread lightly, right? And You've got to be very careful about what you say because you don't know in 2023 if this same thing's gonna come back around Um, I do think lots of things changed. Uh, Number one, I think Sean Payton got courted pretty strongly by announcing, and that became a lot more interesting uh, for him. I think, obviously, what happened, obviously, in Miami with the discrimination lawsuit, that came up, and I think that changed a lot of things real quick and kind of reset the the standard. And I think Tom, uh, I think he was involved and, and wants, you know, when you can get a piece of ownership or a partial ownership of a National Football League club I don't care what percentage is. That is a cash cow forever. And, you know, as we see these franchise values just explode, we'll see what Denver sells for. But, you know, there's a chance these are gonna start gonna be four, five, $6 billion. And in four or five more years from now, they might be eight to $10 billion. So if you're getting 1% of something like that, that's a that's an impressive uh, amount. And so it's gotta be very intriguing for any player that has a chance or an opportunity to be as a part of an ownership group. and so. Uh, I I agree with you. I think that because we heard so little and because the only person that really was getting burned here was Bruce Arians uh, is why he's the only one that really spoke because everybody else was like, eh, let's just not talk about it. And I think that's why I kind of just everybody hoped it was water under the bridge.
0: Yeah, well, interesting. Well, Mark, thank you very much. Uh, anything else you want to bring up or talk about? Open mic, whatever. It's all yours.
1: No, well, I, I just sit there and say, you know, you talked about like uh, your reporting on Jalen Smith and things like that. And to me, it's education. And, you know, I always listen to what you have to say because I do think you bring an insight that a lot of us don't get to have. And, uh, you know, I always enjoy following you or reading your reports because it does give an open eye to what's going on in the league from a medical perspective that you have that most people would never even think of or be able to diagnose as quickly as you can. So um, I always appreciate it, Dr. Shaw. I love having you uh, as a guest as well, and I appreciate you having me as a guest today.
0: Uh, Well, thank you very much. We appreciate you, uh, Mark, and uh, thanks for coming on.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Doctor.
0: All right, let's welcome in the boys for part two of the Pro Football Doc Sports Injury Central podcast. Uh, It was good to have Mark
2: Dominic on. Where you guys been? We missed you last week. Yeah, you had too good of a guess. We can uh, we couldn't we got cut? We got cut for post.
3: <laughs> yeah. No. I, I mean, listen. I, and I, I'm not even going to say we got cut. Okay. Let's just let's just say we saw Ross Tucker was on, and we wanted to pay our respects to Ross. All right. I mean, we could have took time if we wanted it, but we gave it to Ross. Is, so you're welcome, Ross.
0: Is anyone in the audience believing this? Basically, they said no. They basically said chow you talk too long and you used up all the time that's that's the bubble thought that's in their head right now i can see it in their eyes
4: well it just burst now now they know so
0: <laughs> all right so we covered a lot of the draft stuff with uh mark dominic there and um it's fun to chat with him he's a good guy and obviously very knowledgeable and we'll get to some basketball and uh, major league baseball anything else on the draft that uh Want to cover? i got to give you guys some kudos. I think uh, we all did reasonably well in the rundown. I mean, poor Justin Ross seems to have come true, although the Chiefs are going to sign him or have signed him to a free agent contract a day later. I'm happy for him. I hope he does well in the OTAs and minicamps. I hope he gets a chance. But I think where the rubber is going to meet the road is is he going to be allowed to have contact? I would imagine that the chiefs are going to sign him to, uh, 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 uh injury, um, uh, uh, preexisting condition to exclude the neck, not to be unfair, but basically, Hey, then you're coming in with the neck issue. And remember, I keep saying guys that this is what's best for Justin Ross and his family, right? If there's a 1% chance of something catastrophic happening, do you want your son or brother or dad or whoever playing football? I mean, uh, I'm not trying to be negative on him at all. And this way, maybe, look, he gets to experience the NFL, say that he was in the NFL, and even if he doesn't make it, who knows, maybe the Chiefs will find something and end up passing him. But uh, I think uh, our saying that he wasn't going to be drafted at all unfortunately came true for him but i still wish him the best um
3: doc real quick from a fantasy football perspective i just want to ask because i'm a degenerate and we're talking like dynasty fantasy football offseason stuff am i crazy if i if i have like a fourth round dynasty pick and just rookie rookie draft right if wasn't i crazy just to take a flyer on on justin ross because I mean obviously watching the college tape and I know a lot of people out there that aren't really in tune with the injury injury profile <laughs> stuff are they there were shocked to see him go undrafted but am I crazy just to take a like a like a mister irrelevant dynasty pick on him and just to see if it pans out
0: <laughs> well first of all those people that were shocked need to read sports injury central sicscore.com i mean we had it before the combines and we reiterated it before the draft We didn't make it headlines all over the place because we weren't trying to hate on the kid. But very clearly, we've had it and had it out there. Um, I had some national reporters call me on it, but they were like, yeah, I don't want to report that. Number one, they didn't want to go, you know, destroy a kid's dream, even though it's not destroying his dream because the NFL teams and doctors already know what's going on. But also, apparently he has a power agent. Who's got all of the wide receivers, the, the A.J. Brown, Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel. That's Justin uh, uh, Ross's agent. And I don't think any of the guys wanted to piss him off. There was a lot of information to come from him. But to answer your question, Just, uh, uh, Justin, and I was trying not to go there, but you could have made your question a lot shorter. You could have stopped with, am I crazy? And I think the rest of us would have said, yes, you are. But the fact that Look, I don't do dynasty drafts, but a fourth-round flyer on a kid that's undrafted? I mean, I don't, I don't see it, period, much less. I don't know how, how deep your draft is. I mean, does it go to 100 players? I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I, I don't know. But I still don't think he gets cleared for contact. I think he's cleared here to be able to participate and see how he would do in the NFL and have a taste. And that's good on the Chiefs for allowing that. I still don't see him hitting the field competitively um, for an NFL game. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope so for his case if it's safe. So I was like dealing good news. Drake London, indeed, no one cared about his ankle. He was the very first wide receiver drafted. And Taylor, kudos, he had, what, plus 220, he said, uh, on the first wide receiver drafted. Um, and uh, Daryl Stingley, uh, Stingley Jr., um, third pick, no one cared about his list. Frank, um, Evan Neal, and Aquanu with small drops, drops out of the top three, but they went what six, seven, something like that. Uh, we kind of saw that, and it wasn't going to be big drop. Uh, I know some of our other guys cashed on a over four and a half <laughs> prop on uh, on those guys. And then um, I think the uh, Ajabu, yeah, with the Achilles, we knew. The only big surprise to me, and I don't even call it a miss because we never said anything on it, we didn't know, is I had no idea uh, Nicobe Dean had the pec tear issue. And it was more than a pec muscle strain, a pec tendon tear, not sure the PRP is going to be enough. If you want, and maybe Justin, you can put up the link or whatever of our Twitter spaces. Our first ever Philly special Twitter spaces that involved Joel Embiid and Kobe Dean. I did not pan the pick. I mean, look, he's a first-round talent being selected in the third round. I just think that ultimately for him to be able to wrap and tackle effectively, he's probably going to need the surgery. And having the surgery delayed now isn't going to give it enough time for this season now, it says that he's going to be at minicamp or rookie minicamp. Good. He can run around. He can do everything, I'm sure. But, you know, running back, running through his arms, I mean, his right peck, if he can't wrap, I think that's an issue for a uh, linebacker.
2: Well, I thought you had a great point, too, a uh, comparison when we asked you about it for the article, um, that Eric Weddle tore his peck in the Super Bowl, obviously, and finished the game. But he completely changed his tackling style because he knew he couldn't wrap up.
0: Yeah. And – and that's fine. Uh, Eric is pretty wily and he got that key first and 10 tackle at nine yards. And ultimately, the Bengals didn't convert. But if you have that on film and you know he can't do that, don't you just teach your people to cut off that shoulder and make him rap? I mean, it makes it very difficult. So, and this league is too hard. Like, you get exposed like that. I mean, We mentioned earlier, and I don't want to harp on the kid. I mean, the guy was a generational linebacker, and the injury was just too bad. But look, Jalen Smith had a little bit of success when he finally made it back. Thankfully, he had financial success. Jerry Jones paid him. But in the end, his lateral movement and change of direction wasn't there, and people were exposing it. You know, even PFF saw it and was grading him down. I'm not hating on the kid, but this is the NFL. I mean, people see, he's no on a
4: team anymore, either, Doc. He's not on, a, he's not rostered right now, which goes, you know, to show as well.
0: Yeah. Maybe a Justin can draft him in the IT, IDP league.
2: Better use of the pick. Don't tempt me. I might do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know Taylor's having uh, dying to have his talking bead hanging out here in a Sixers shirt. So <laughs> I, that the news on that has been very interesting, Doc. I mean, I know we, we, had an initial article saying that most of these have surgery, but now it seems like he's avoiding surgery. And uh, it seems like what, what we wrote about recently that game three is a realistic target that uh, seems like that's what the team's targeting as well.
0: Yeah. Well, that's exactly kind of what we said in, in the Twitter spaces. I kind of like Twitter spaces. I'm still deciding. Is it Twitter live or, you, or Twitter spaces? I, I don't know. I mean, whatever Justin tells me to do, I guess, but I will say this guys, like, we know, we know, Taylor. I mean, next to the Raiders, you got Sixers on. Like, we know how sly you are tilting your camera up. You've always had eye level cameras just to get the Sixers thing. Could you do? Couldn't you have done it with a Sixers hat and had the same thing and said you got, you know, you got this yeah. funny angle tipped up, just so that we could see your Sixers fandom there.
4: Uh, I definitely changed my chair today for this. Yeah. See, I told you. <laughs> see, see, I won't lie to you. <laughs> see, that's our
0: that's our mo- mantra, Sports Injury Central. Right? Insider knowledge, not insider information. I didn't know he changed the chair, but I know that's, he did something there. That that's
2: not the normal. Uh, that's look. insider knowledge on Taylor. 100. A
0: hundred percent on him. Uh, no question. So, um, Joel Embiid, look. The danger with an orbital fracture, first of all, you got hit pretty good, but it wasn't an all-out punch, so I could see how it was, quote, clean, quote, non-displaced, and thus not needing surgery. But there's still swelling involved, and normally that and if it were displaced, it would be surgery, and normally it's seven to ten days. But this is playoffs, but if you count it out, missing games one and two is about seven days, right? I don't know. Uh, game three is on the eighth day after injury. There you go. So it's still within our seven to ten day timeline. There's the quote mild concussion. I remember when anyone in the NFL said mild concussion, media would hammer them, right? But now in the NBA, they're saying mild concussion, and I haven't seen anyone in social media hammer. Them. No such thing as mild concussion. Concussion's a concussion, head injury, head injury, you know, kind of thing. But I think, uh, yeah, uh, people have become less sensitive to that. So hopefully he clears any concussion that he had or concussion protocol. But that's all he said. Game 3-4. That's why, you know, if you liked the Sixers, getting them for the series, the FanDuel line was plus 380 before this news came out. And the first two games are Miami. So if they can steal one, that would be awesome. But even if they come back down 2-0, not all is lost, right? I mean, Embiid with the Sixers is a different team. Now, they'd have to hold serve for three games and steal one of two in, in Miami. Uh, you know, winning four out of five is not easy, but we'll see what happens. But now the line, and nobody's played, and the line's switched to, to plus to 310 for Sixers now. So, that's a 70-cent line move. So, um, if you liked them, good luck, but you got better numbers, uh, the day before than now. And, and I think when he comes back, he's gonna be effective. That mask he's played with before. So I don't think he's gonna have any visual issues, etc. The mask is not 100% protective, but if you ask me, the thumb continues to be the bigger medical issue than the orbital fracture once he gets to return to play. That's not changing in terms of his three-point shots. I think you guys are the ones that told me now he heard it. Yeah, he he made that shot to win that game, game whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, but since then he hasn't made a single three pointer, and he's shot a lot fewer because of the touch, etc. And the ball ball handling, ball security are the biggest things. Not rebounding, not defense, not shorter mid range jumpers. Um, a three-pointer. So Embiid, I think, is coming back, and that's good. I mean, it's almost like uh, Luka Doncic, right? When we said Luka Doncic is coming back, and that a, was a game changer in the series against the Jazz. Embiid coming back will be a game changer uh, here. Um,
2: Another series I want to hit on, I think there's a lot of in- interesting injury storylines, especially lately. I mean, uh, the Bucks and Celtics will, will do it for Justin big Celtics fan, <laughs> um, but so obviously the Bucks are without Chris Middleton, they they had put on a pretty good defensive show in game one, um, and now Marcus Smart banged up, Jalen Brown's hamstring, Robert Williams not 100% on the knee. What, what are you seeing in that series, Doc, as far as the three, three players on the Celtics?
0: Justin, are you hiring the Celtics shirt? I mean, if you stood up, your shirt Celtics, or change your angle? No,
3: now? no, I don't know. I no, not today. No, it's a it's a somber day. We took a loss, so I, they don't deserve my my fandom.
0: Today. Oh, fair Ooh, bandwagon guy. Wow. Okay.
3: No, no, no. I'm not a bandwagon. <laughs> it's rough. just kind of like you know, I'm going to take a day and just wear a different color shirt. You know, my body was like too much green, and we didn't it didn't pay off. So,
2: were you wearing green different
3: yesterday? Tactic. I may have been.
2: Oh, okay. I may have been. That means he doesn't, hasn't done laundry yet. That's what that's telling me.
3: Oh, no. I Okay. Yeah, that's a whole other story. It was Sunday, I guess. Yeah.
2: I don't think that would stop him. But anyways,
0: um, yeah. I mean, when Jalen Brown had the hamstring and, and the coach was saying he's playing, he's playing, but this is why you need six scores. He's playing, but how well? And quite honestly, we probably didn't dock him enough on his six score. We certainly didn't have him in the 90s or anywhere near 100, but we probably should have docked him more. Uh, And that's probably our error in terms of how mobile and what kind of player he is, right? I mean, uh, that's why we had confidence that Doncic would be okay with his calf because he isn't that mobile. He's a big guy with a lot of reach. He can get open without quick moves, et cetera, and defense isn't his forte. Anyway, Jalen Brown is a different story there. So I think it's going to continue to affect him going forward. Look, uh, in the beginning, when the, before the series started, uh, I was more pessimistic on Jalen Brown than I was on Chris Middleton. I thought Chris Middleton would actually come back. Maybe I've had to temper that a little bit. Uh, Jalen Brown certainly is affected. Chris Middleton certainly is not back right now. I still think there's a chance Chris Middleton can come back, you know, especially if it goes to a, a game seven, uh, etc. We'll have to keep an eye on that.
2: Uh, one more, one more player everyone has eyes on is Dem Booker. I mean, I know he came back in that game six win for the Suns, but he had, I think, it was four points. He, did, he wasn't moving around much. Chris Paul obviously had the, the historic game, not missing any shots. But when, when were you looking at him being fully effective?
0: Yeah. Well. I'll, I'll do Devin Booker in a second. So Marcus smart with the stinger and the quad. I mean, uh, he's a pretty active defender. So the quad's going to affect him more than the stinger. The stinger is hit and miss in terms of what happens. And they're set at Robert Williams still isn't playing full minutes, right? I mean, he's creeping up, but he's still in the 20s. He's not He is
4: starting now. He's finally starting. He did look effective yesterday, but he's not play, he's not playing the full minutes like he was prior to injury.
0: And that's when I said, look, it's gonna be four to six weeks. Hey, he made it back before four weeks. Congratulations, but is he a hundred percent not close? That four to six weeks is still what we're targeting, et cetera. Devin Booker, that's a big deal with his hamstring, Jacob. I mean, the type of player he is, defender, the all-around athlete that he is. That's a huge deal. I mean, I know Chris Paul with his finger got him through with his veteran while and, and got him past the Pelicans. But that's a big deal. Devin Booker is not going to be anywhere near 100% yet, I don't believe, especially how reliant his game is on athleticism. And I think that's you
4: he they played tonight. Um, he finished with 13 points in the the game, uh, but he was one of six from three. Is his three point three point is that taking effect with injury, or is uh, is it other stuff that's like his defense as well?
0: Well, I mean, it's the NBA playoffs. You don't get a lot of wide open threes. They're usually more hurried. Make your own space threes. I don't think with his hamstring that if he gets a wide open three that he's going to be affected very much. But if he has to create his three, yes, that hamstring will affect him. And uh, I don't know what the current line is on him, but he's not going to be 100%. And actually you'll see it more on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball for for him in terms of uh, the effect there. But uh, that'll be uh, interesting there. Uh, going back to the um, Bucks and Celtics, uh, I don't know that we published anything, but we talked about it. I was very surprised for the series. The FanDuel line was Bucks plus 175. I was like, they have Giannis there. <laughs> the Celtics have some injury issues. I was surprised at that. And I guess it's now fl- flipped to uh, Bucks minus 126 uh, for the series after their first uh, win there. And, boy, if they can get Chris Middleton back late, I mean, uh, that would be big too. So we'll see. We'll see. Celtics, I'm sure, will come back this next game. Justin, you can wear green again. And then uh, 1-1 going into uh, Milwaukee, but they have the home court advantage now uh, once they took this
2: first game here. I want to switch sports and hit one more soft tissue injury, and then we'll wrap up with the Beast of the Week. Um, Shohei Otani, obviously, huge name in baseball, huge name for the Angels. Uh, left yes, left Sunday's game with a groin strain or groin tightness. I think they're they're calling it. He said he expects to be in the lineup, might pitch Wednesday. What, what's your take on that, Doug?
0: Well, first of all, tightness I think has become the new code word for strain, right? Devin Booker had tightness on the chase down <laughs> it's like you don't get tightness on the chase down Jacques Peterson as well, that was a recent one Jacques Peterson in baseball yeah, groin strain, I mean sorry, tightness, code word tightness basically to me tightness is something you say quickly in game and uh, then you hope for the best, right? because tightness is the best case scenario those are strains uh, we'll see what happens with Shohei Ohtani now he's very unique right, in terms of DH and pitching, he bats left and throws right, correct? Um, so he has a right adductor. Um, I think the hitting won't be effective. Of course, what he does on the base pass might be, but I'm more worried about his pitching. Can you really pitch with a right-handed pitcher with a right adductor strain, your push-off leg, and does that invite... Other issues of injury up the kinetic chain to your arm, shoulder, elbow. Does it affect his accuracy? It certainly will affect his fatigue that day on the mound. I would not be surprised. Look, if he's lucky enough to continue playing and DH-ing, I would I think he can do it. But I'd be surprised if he takes his scheduled start. And who knows? The team may say, we're better off not risking aggravation on the base paths because of his value pitching. Uh, I have to admit, you know, we're consulting with our pro baseball docs. We haven't all met together yet on that. This is a unique situation. I don't have a lot of experience. I don't know that anyone does, you know, with a superstar DH slash pitcher, this combination, this groin injury. And I think that's kind of what we try and do at Sports Injury Central, right? I mean, we're not an algorithm. Grade one adductor equals X. No, a grade one adductor, right adductor, and a right-handed pitcher, how he pitches, who's a DH. and I mean, there's just so many different factors. Um, let's take it Ronald lacuna We talked about that. We were a little surprised that he was put out in right field. And I didn't know the Braves roster. I was like, mm, that sounds like to me there's need there that the DH can't really play in the field or play very well in the field. And that seems to be the case. And they also had that uh, uh, eye issue for one of their outfielders. So they were probably a little short. And when Acuna said, yeah, I'll do it, they let him do it. But they let him do it for a game. And now he's back at DH, right? Right. So they know what's best and safest for him as he works his way fully back. And um, there's just return to play is multifactorial. It's not just the injury. Um, and so forth. And we see all the time who, who was our latest example in uh, an elimination game? Oh, um, the Jazz. Um, Donovan Mitchell. Donovan yeah. Mitchell. We're like, I'm not sure that he can play, but he did. He tried because it was an elimination game, right? He didn't do a lot and they got eliminated, but he tried, right? So there's a lot of other things that factor into uh, return to play.
2: All right, let's run to Beast of the Week. Uh, Doc, you brought up this clip. A little old on social media, but I think it's worth worth readdressing. It a, a, a little old? <laughs> it's, it's internet time. Five days? Yep. That's like months ago.
0: Yeah, come on. <laughs> if five days on the internet is old, then what am I? <laughs> don't answer that question. Don't
4: answer that question. I, was about to say, I don't want to answer that.
0: <laughs> don't <laughs> answer that, come that question. Come on, Doc.
2: There's a whole NFL draft between then and now. That's, that's ancient.
0: I know. It's every prison. <laughs> uh, look. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Here's the clip as we look at it. At the Reds game, catching a foul ball while bottle feeding the baby. I mean, if you watch this, this it's pretty amazing. Now, here's what I think is amazing about this video. And, And I have a poll, and you guys tell me what you think is most amazing. Most amazing that he's got a baby in his hands and a baby bottle feeding it, the baby, And he continues the whole time. Now, admittedly, he has one of those baby Bjorn or whatever things. Uh, 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 don't ask me if I had one, (laughs) I will take the fifth, but remember (laughs) we had twins. Okay. So he's got the baby Bjorn, so he's got an assist there. Okay. But is it more impressive that he never stopped feeding the baby or is it more impressive that he actually leaned to catch that ball that wasn't self-defense for him or the baby? I mean, he reached over and took it from somebody else. Is that more impressive? Or is it more impressive that he had the guts to try that with, I assume, his wife, I don't know, the mom of the baby sitting there? Or is it more impressive that mom actually clapped for him as opposed to, you know, gave him the business for putting the baby at danger? If you look at her face real quickly, at first, she was like a little bit of horror and disgust and it switched over to cheers because it was a good result. Like if you make a bad decision and it ends up in a good result, should you be applauded? I don't know. My wife might not agree with, this, with what this mom did. I might've gotten the business on the, on this one. So what's most impressive that he kept feeding the baby no reaction that he reached to get the ball that he had the guts to try it or that the mom or the wife, I assume applauded him for it. What, what do you guys think?
3: I mean, a, a first watch. That's a, that was my first look. I mean, knowing, knowing, obviously hearing your description and then watching the video. I was watching the mom. I was awake, trying to see what the mom's reaction was to the whole situation because you said he leans in, and I watched it. He does lean forward a little bit. He does kind of put himself in there, and and I think her reaction it kind of makes it makes it it takes it to another level, right? It's it's impressive. He's locked. He's fixed into that position of of feeding the baby. But to, to consciously go up and grab the ball and the wife's reaction, it makes it, it may, to me. That's why it's the beast of the week. It's just the whole, the total package. I would be mad at the clapping.
4: I'd be like, why didn't you help me? I would like be so upset that I, you, you're the one that put made me put the baby in danger. I would be tossing blame at everybody near me. And I definitely wouldn't give her the ball. That's for sure. I would definitely be keeping <laughs> the ball.
2: That's not the kid's ball? Come on. <laughs>
4: that's oh, a like the kid, yeah, I'll stick it in the Bjorn for sure.
0: <laughs> well, I, you know, this is what perspective teaches you in life, right? I could kind of look when I brought up and said, this is the beast of the week. I knew Taylor's reaction is going to be why? I mean, so what? And I knew Jacob and that's why he was hating saying it's five days old. You really want to make this the beast of the week? <laughs> I guarantee you. Justin was all for this, for the Beast of the Week, because he's got a little one. He feels it. And his reaction is, oh, the wife, the mom, what it is. It's a matter of perspective, right? Where you are in life. I've got some little ones at home. They aren't that little anymore. But I can't imagine a couple of years ago, my trying to pull that off. First of all, I might not have caught the ball. Second of all, I mean, uh, you know, the bottom line is, it's a different perspective, right? And that's why I think this guy's a Beast of the Week. He cleanly catches it. He doesn't miss... It's not like he pulled the bottle out of the kid's mouth. You know, the bottle stayed in the kid's mouth. He was frozen there. He does get as an assist from the baby Bjorn, but I knew Taylor and Jacob would have different impressions. They wouldn't like it as much as uh, as Justin and I did. But uh, that's- yeah,
3: you know what? You know what? I got to I got to say the guy who was sitting in front of him that almost caught the ball. The fact that he didn't catch it, he he stole Beast of the Week from that guy, right? Because if that guy catches it and the guy feeding the baby doesn't move, he's a hero. Right, he's the hero because he Good protected point. the baby. Good point. Right? There's just so many, so much, so many storylines.
0: Yeah, but but yeah, but if the ball fell, it wouldn't have hit the baby. It'll hit the seat.
3: Oh, well, you don't say that. We're trying to push a narrative here. We're trying to <laughs> we're trying to spice this video up here.
0: Yeah, and and that's and 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 see what the the problem with the guy in the front with the cardigan sweater. I mean, I know my son's not listening, but I say to him all the time, "Move your feet." You don't catch the ball by reaching out. Get under it. He didn't move his feet. The seat was empty next to him. He could have settled himself into the seat next to him, and he would have caught it instead of reaching for it, right? I know. There
2: you go. Bring that up. That's a good uh, good video study for you
0: and your son, Doc. No, I won't say that to him. <laughs> I try and be a good dad. I help coach. I don't know that much about baseball, but like, move your feet. <laughs> don't just stab at it at the last minute, but that is a, a thing. Can you tell that we're in... Uh, Mustang Pony League playoffs time now (laughs) with what's going on. So, anyways, all right, we went way too long on that beast of the week, but uh, we thought we'd have some fun with it. Sincerely, that guy's a beast for even trying that thing. And uh, the fact that he was successful, I mean, uh, it worked out. But I'm quite sure moms would say just because it worked out the right way doesn't mean it was the right decision. But uh, uh, away we go. Thanks for uh, watching and listening. Pro Football Doc Podcast, Sports Injury Central. Um, Look, uh, lots of baseball stuff, basketball stuff. There's still football stuff year-round, and uh, we'll cover that. We didn't even get to uh, the tradability, not tradability, of Baker and and Jimmy G. But uh, that's for another time. And uh, maybe we'll do some more Twitter spaces uh, whenever things come up. But uh, thanks for listening and watching. See you next week.